0: We are in Ephesians chapter four tonight. Last week we finished off chapter three. Don't lose heart at what you see. Paul wrote because of his chains. We saw that sometimes uh, people might see Paul in chains and they think I could be next. Of course, we whenever we see things that we don't think should happen, happen. Why should Paul be arrested? Why should Paul be threatened with death? We didn't. We don't like that. We think God should stop it. Whenever those things go on, they begin to produce doubt-generating questions. Why did this happen to me? What did I do to deserve this? Why didn't God stop this? Why didn't God help me? Those are questions that generate doubt. Faith, as we said, does not lose heart or form doubt questions. That is bewilderment. And Paul didn't want them to be going that direction. We also saw Paul's second prayer that he prayed for the saints. And that's a good prayer to be praying for yourself if you want to grow in the things of God. Paul's first prayer in chapter 1, Paul's second prayer in chapter 3 are great prayers to pray. Just put your name in there. And those are things we spent time on before. Here now, we're going to begin chapter 4. The first three chapters of Ephesians go over principles. Spiritual principles. The second three chapters are practical. Basically, how do I apply the principles you just taught in the first three chapters? And so we start that off here with four. We're going to see what the main characteristics of our walk should be. Paul is going to go over these. There are four characteristics that should be part of our walk. If we can make these four characteristics part of our walk and a strong part of our walk, our life will change drastically for the better. Here in Ephesians 4, let's begin reading at verse 1. We're just looking at the first three verses here tonight. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love. Now this word here, beseech, it's the Greek word parakaleo. It means to admonish or exhort. Rick Renner has a great uh, visual on this in the way that he describes the the words. He says, It's a Greek compound of the words para and kaleo. The word para, of course, means alongside, and the word kaleo means to call or to beckon. When these two words are compounded together, the new word pictures one who comes alongside someone else as close as he can get and then begins to passionately call out, plead, beckon, beg, and beseech that other person to do something on his behalf. Whenever you have somebody and you're trying to get them, trying to persuade them to do something, I need you to do this. You don't do it from standing afar off. You get up close to them. And this is what he's talking about. I'm, I'm getting up close to you. Of course, he's writing the letter, but he's, he's giving them the picture. I want you to see I'm getting up close to you on this. I'm getting as close as I can to you. And I'm saying, I'm beckoning, I'm begging, I'm pleading with you. And that's the wording that he uses here. So I therefore the prisoner, he's in, he's in chains, don't get discouraged in my chains, but I'm the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. We are to have a walk that is worthy of the calling. Understand your walk does not qualify you for the calling. You have the calling, now get your walk to, to line up with it. A lot of times, religion tries to get people, well, if you do this, if you get rid of this, if you quit this, then you can have a better calling. No, we have the calling already. Now we need to make sure that we have a walk that is worthy of that calling. You look at people in the Old Testament. You look at Saul. You look at Samson. These are people who had a calling, but their walk didn't live up to their calling. Jeroboam, his walk didn't live up to the calling he had on on him the calling was there he needed to get the the walk going Solomon had a great walk for a while but then he he left it other people their walk got stronger Abraham's walk got stronger as he went on but the calling was always there God's calling for him was the same God's calling on your life is not based on your walk It's not based on how good you are It's not based on how qualified you think you are God's calling on your life is as he has decided He has said, this is the calling that's for you. We should never stand before God and say, God, I'm not worthy of that calling. God, I don't deserve that calling. God, I don't understand why you want me to do this. I think you made a mistake on this. No, God has put a calling on your life. Now, that calling is there. Let's have a walk that is worthy of that calling. And if God put the calling on you, you can have a walk that is worthy of that calling. That's what God has, has said by putting on. With all lowliness, gentleness, long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. We're going to take a look at these things. These are four characteristics that he puts out. These four characteristics are extremely important in us having a calling or a walk that is worthy of the calling. So this first one here, all lowliness, it's the Greek word to meaning having a humble opinion of oneself, a deep sense of one's moral littleness, modesty, humility, and lowliness of mind. Basically, it's going to be this way. Be teachable. All lowliness. There's a, there's a temptation that as we have a calling that is on our life, we come to realize, I've got this calling. I must be pretty good. And then we begin to, to walk in things. We think, I, I know I know stuff. I'm doing well. And we can sometimes become unteachable. How many... Christians, do you know, that have become unteachable? You cannot teach them anything. They know it all. And he's basically saying this. Do not have that high-mindedness about you. Stay with this lowliness of mind. Let's read that again. With all lowliness and gentleness, but with all lowliness, you've got to have this, this ability. Let's read this definition again. Having a humble opinion of oneself, a deep sense of one's moral littleness, modesty, humility, and lowliness of mind. The more that I get into God, the more that I learn about God, the more I should learn. God is huge. God is immense. I know so little compared to my God. I need to learn more. The more that I get into the Word, the more I realize there is that I don't know. I've never gotten to a place in the Word where I decided, well, I just know it all now. Because the more that I learn, the more I can ask questions. Well, I didn't even know to ask this question before, but God, how does does this work? What happens when this goes on? And I don't know the answer to it, but my God does. The more that I get into God, the more that I learn about Him, the lower I should see myself in as far as littleness. This does not mean a false humility that you just put yourself down. Well, I'm nothing. I'm nobody. No, you don't have to be talking about yourself to have a lowliness of mind. It just means that you realize God is bigger than me. God has greater knowledge than I do. God has got people on this earth that can help me, that can teach me, that can, that can bring things along. I can't just go around and say, well, this one has nothing, this one has nothing, this one has nothing, just write everybody off. No. The Word of God tells us to treat others better, to think of others higher. This is the attitude that we should have. So the first attitude that we have is, I, re- I summarize it this way, be teachable. Don't have a mindset that you're always correct. Now, there are some times that you need to realize... I'm right on this, because <laughs> this is what the Word of God says. And people are going to come up to you and say, no, 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 you need to compromise. That's the way it used to be. But you know, you need to come along and modernize some things. God used to go this way. God used to think this way. This is the way it used to be. But now, if we're going to reach the world, we've got to compromise. We've got to know there's some things we need to hang on to. But you can do it with having a lowliness of mind and not a prideful sense about yourself. And so that's what we need to, to make sure that we have. And he'll, he'll accomplish that by the time he gets in verse 3 when he, send, uh, when he uh, brings it all together. Now, I wrote in here, and meekness, I know your Bible in the New King James says gentleness. I think meekness was a much better word to put in here than gentleness is because it has a bigger picture of things. But here's a, here's a word picture for, for meekness. It pictures a strong-willed person who has learned to submit his will to a higher authority. A strong-willed person who has learned to submit his will to a higher authority. You could be a strong-willed person and never learn to submit to a higher authority. That's not the kind of person that Paul's talking about here. He wants you to have a meekness. You can be a strong-willed person there's a, sometimes people submit themselves to a higher authority but they're not strong they don't have a strong will about it. They're just uh they're weak. Meekness is not weakness. It doesn't mean that I just bow down to whatever anybody else wants me to do. It is a all right, I understand that I am under this authority and so I will go along with this, but my will doesn't get changed. I decide to put my will underneath that authority. That's what we have to do. So this person isn't weak. He is controlled. There's a difference between being weak and controlled. He may, in fact, possess a strong will and a powerful character. This is all from this word picture here. He may be a person who has his own opinion. But this person has learned the secret of submitting to those who are over him. Thus, he is one who knows how to bring his will under control. In rare instances the word meekness was used to describe wild animals that had become tame because it correctly conveyed the idea of a wild fierce will under control. If you tame something like a lion, there's a wild, there's a fierce will that is there, but if you tame it, you bring that under control to where that lion has submitted his strength, his power to the, the trainer that is there. And so this is what the word meekness is His next word is long suffering. Let's read the the verse here together. With all lowliness and gentleness or meekness with long suffering. Now the word here for long suffering means fortitude, long suffering, patience. Long suffering patience. And you know long suffering is a good word for this. That You suffer long. A lot of people can suffer, but they're short. Yeah, I'll suffer for, for, for uh, you know, five minutes. <laughs> Colossians 3 and 12, you see this word used. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness. There's our word meekness again. Long-suffering. Put these things on. When he says put these things on, it means they're not on. You have to put them on. It doesn't just happen. You have to... When if, if we went out to today, today was cold. So you dressed with an idea that today was going to be cold. And so maybe you put an extra layer on. Maybe you put a coat on if you didn't put a coat on normally. But it was colder. And so you had to intentionally put something on to combat it. This is what it's, he was talking about here. You need to put these things on. Long-suffering doesn't come on you because you're a Christian. It doesn't come on you because you got born again. It comes on you because you put it on. Hebrews 6 and verse 12, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience, there's our word long-suffering, inherit the promises. A lot of people think it's just faith that brings the promises, but it's faith and patience. We need to not only have faith, we need to have faith long. We need to sometimes stay in there, stay in the height. Don't, don't bow out. We've had times that we've we talked more about that particular word. But we have to have some long-suffering. If you are going to believe God for something, there are, at times it takes a little while. Abraham believed for how long to get that, that uh, son born into his family? It took quite a while. David believed for how long that he was going to be king? There was a lot of suffering that went on. A lot of, a lot of patience needed to, get, to go on. But not everybody has this. Not everybody wants to do this long-suffering. In the Christian church, especially, but you'll see this in the world. How many have ever heard the phrase, well, I just have to say this? Ever heard that? People say, to them, well, I just have to say this to you. Well, no, you don't. But they do. And, you know, they're compelled. Why are they compelled? They have a feeling. They have something that rose up on the inside, and I just have to say this to you. That's emotionally based. Jesus didn't say what he what he felt like he had to say, he said what the Father said to say. And that's, that's a huge difference. People need to, to learn that. What spirit are you giving into if you always say what you feel? It's probably not going to be the Spirit of God. Because there are times that the Word may rise up on the inside of us and we see something that's going on and we want to say what the Word says, But the Word of God, the Spirit of God on the inside of us said, no, 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 no. (laughs) No, do not say that. Why? Because that person is not ready to hear it. That person is not in a place to, to be able to hear that. And you're going to cause more damage by saying it than you would otherwise. He'll just back off. Jesus didn't say everything he wanted to say. Jesus didn't teach everything he wanted to teach. Jesus didn't teach everything or say everything he felt like saying, he said what the Father told him to say. Why? Because he was controlled. If somebody said something and it aggravated him or it hurt him, he didn't speak out of that hurt. He didn't speak out of that aggravation. He was under control. He could long suffer. All right, This, this bugs me that they're thinking this. This irritates me that they think this about God. But you don't, you don't just do it. In James chapter 5, verse 10, My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. They spoke things, and some of them probably spoke some things. I don't want to say this because I don't want them to, to get out. I think they ought to be judged. <laughs> like Jonah. I don't want to say this. I want them to be judged. And so he spoke, you know, repent. And they did. And he was mad. We can't speak on feelings. We have to speak on what the Spirit of God tells us to say. We don't always understand all the things that the Spirit of God tells us to say. But what he's talking about here is develop character to where your feelings are not in control of your mouth. Make sure that the Spirit of God is in control of your mouth. Make sure that you say those things that God tells you to say. Make sure you say those things that are founded in the Word of God. So again, let's read this This verse, with all lowliness and gentleness, or meekness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. The word they're bearing is to hold oneself up against, to stand one's ground. We need to to bear with each other. Sometimes we just have no patience with each other. If they don't get it right, if they're not where they need to be, we're just, I'm, I'm done with this one. I'm tired of this. I'm not putting up with this anymore. I don't deserve this kind of thing. And we just write the whole thing off. But how much patience, how much bearing with has God done with us? Now, we expect that God should bear with us all the time. But I don't expect myself to bear with other people. (laughs) And that's not right. If I want God to bear with me, I need to bear with others. I need to make sure that I, I do that. Then, Father God... How would you want me to help this person? This person is caught up in something. This person is, is um, being moved by things they shouldn't be moved by. How can I help them? And you find out from God what you can do. Because it's not always go up there and slap them in the face. Sometimes you need to go up there and just uh, help them up. Just help them up. When Jesus saw the woman who was caught in adultery there before and all the accusers went away, He says to her, where are your accusers? Well, they left. Well, I guess she knew that he wasn't one. Well, he didn't go over there and and, uh, start talking to her, condemning her for the things that she was doing. He, he, He helped her out. He was bearing with her. Don't you think there were some things that he could have pinpointed from the word that were wrong with her character? But he didn't do that. This is the kind of bearing that we need to do. The same thing that we do with little children. We don't expect them to get everything right. And just because they, uh, they spilled something, just because something they had an accident, doesn't mean that we yell at them. Now, some parents do. I understand that. And you see the damage that is done when they do that. But we need to have patience with them. We need to have long-suffering. We need to bear with these things. He said, bear with all loneliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love doesn't mean bearing with one another and gritting your teeth. Sometimes we do that. Well, I didn't say what I wanted to say. Well, you shouldn't have wanted to say it. If you're the more mature one, if you're the one in a better position, why is that feeling in there? Get that feeling out. Quit it. Bearing with one another in love. You've lost the love. You're just gritting your teeth and bearing with them and expect God to, to say, Oh, well done, good and faithful servant. No, you weren't good and faithful. You're gritting your teeth. You're having anger issues. You're just not letting them come out on your face. Let that love take you over. When God helps us, He doesn't grit His teeth. He did not say, Oh, man, I'm so mad having to do this with... You. No. And we don't expect God to do that with us. But sometimes we're doing it with other people. No, love on them. Get a heart for them. Oh, God. I remember there was times I was walking. I was caught up in stuff like this, too. I. I thank you that you helped me out. And just smile on your face, love on the inside of you, it's a whole lot easier to bear with them when you're doing that. So those are the four attitudes that he talks about here. Psalm 1, 3, he says, you sh- He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Now, trees, if you uh, look around at trees, Trees are unique to certain areas. Have you ever gone to a, another state, another country, and they have a tree growing? And you've never seen that tree before. Ah, uh, I've never seen that. That's a nice looking tree. And you'd like to have that tree at your house. But you've never seen one of those kind of trees because those trees may not be able to grow where you are. Maybe your climate is too cold. Maybe your climate is not wet enough. There can be all sorts of stuff Trees are very unique to an area. They adapt to the area and they can, they, uh, they can become very prolific in the areas where they grow. If you go down into the state of Florida, you'll notice they have palm trees. They have a lot of palm trees. We don't have palm trees up here. They don't, they don't like this, this climate. But down there, if you have regular trees and you get hit with a hurricane, those regular trees snap off. And so their numbers go down. But those palm trees, what happens to a palm tree in a, in a hurricane? It bends. It bends great. I mean, it bends. All, you can go all the way down to the ground, it seems. It just bends. They don't have all those great branches that can be broken off like the, the other ones do. And so it's a tree that flourishes down in that area, but it doesn't flourish up here. Up here, we don't have palm trees that are, that are growing. You've got to go through a lot of effort if you want to have a palm tree growing up in this area. I put in your outline, knowing when to bend can preserve and help us. We've got to know sometimes I just need to bend on this. I just need to not stand my ground or, or just uh, uh, hurt somebody in this. No, I just, I need to know what to do. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Put this in your outline for you. A walk worthy is achieved by how all these characteristics work together to balance us out. You cannot have one or two of these traits and, be, and walk in the blessings that he's talking about. I've got to get all four going. All four need to be going in my life. I've got to have that lowliness. I've got to have that meekness. I've got to have that long-suffering and that bearing with one another in love. I've got to work on these things. But if I can get all four of these things going in a strong direction in my life, it will change me and will help me to change and help others. Because people can usually tell when you are bearing with them but not in love. Haven't you, Melody, do that? I mean, you can tell someone is bearing with you, but they're not happy about it. There's no love there. They're just kind of gritting their teeth and going on. Now, we've talked before about arenas the main one we've, I think we've talked about is the arena of faith. The enemy, the devil, loves to get us out of the arena of faith. I was always taught the principle that if you stay in the arena of faith, you, the devil will always lose. But if he can get you out of the arena of faith and get you into some other arena, the arena of doubt, the arena of questioning, whatever arena it might be, if he can get you out of the arena of faith, you can lose. And he knows he's got to get you out of that arena. It's kind of like in the sports, sports uh, teams. There are some sports teams that are almost a lock at home. On their court, in their arena, they don't lose much. If you understand that in the arena of faith, you won't lose, but the devil's going to try and get you out. He's going to try and get you to doubt. Has God really said? If he can get you to doubt, So that's one of the arenas, but we're going to take a look at some other ones here. Because he says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling. So this is the arena of our calling. As far as our calling is concerned, in the arena of my calling, my walk needs to be worthy of that. When I am tempted by the devil to, to do something outside of my walk, to do something that is not what God wants me to do, something that is against the Word of God. I need to say, no, God has given me a calling. I am going to have a walk that is worthy of that calling. I'm going to go in the direction that my God wants me to go. Now, this is the arena of our walk. Not everything is dependent on your walk, but some things are. There are some blessings that are ours because of our position. And there are some blessings that come because of our walk. If I get rid of these things, if I can walk according to this, if I can do this, these blessings, these things will be mine. But if you look at some principles from the Word of God, your inheritance is not based on your walk. It's based on your position. Being born again is not based on your walk. God does not say, we're going to let you be born again as long as your walk is worthy. He doesn't say that. I don't have to have a walk worthy to be born again. I just need to have the position Of receiving Jesus Christ as my Savior. Religion has you get born again based on your walk. But not God. We don't want to get saved by religion. We want to get saved by the Word of God. Your access to the Holy Spirit is because of your position. It's not about your walk. Now in 3 John, verse 3... For I rejoice greatly when brethren come and testify the truth that is in you just as you walk in the truth. That is an arena. There is an arena of truth. If you stay in the arena of truth, you'll have certain victories. You'll walk in in victory. If you get out of the arena of truth, well, I don't think God, well, I don't think the word means, well, I don't, I don't think, that's what a lot of people use to qualify their uh, their beliefs. I don't think it doesn't matter what you think. What's the word say? What's God show us in the, in the word? We've uh, we've gone over the principles here. These have been our guiding principles ever since we've we've had this church here. Three main main things. First off, anything that is supposed to govern your life is in in the word. Often, it is in the word clearly. And someone in the Word did it. If it doesn't meet those, dis- those uh, qualifications, then it's probably not something that you need to order your life by. It may still be a good truth, but it's not necessarily something that you need to order your life by or it's going to dominate your life. You've got to make sure that it's in the Word often, that it's in the Word clearly, and that someone in the Word did it. There's a lot of people who want to go around, they teach you to do something, but no one in the Bible ever did it. How in the world can there be a truth taught by the word that no one ever did usually that's the case that they have misunderstood something for I rejoice greatly when brethren come and testify of the truth that is in you just as you walk in the truth walk in the word that you know learn principles and put them to work in your life this is how you walk in this arena of truth when I learn something when God reveals something to me in the word oh I didn't see that truth before I take that truth and I put it to work in my life right away, because by putting it to work, I get it—I I get it a part of me. Just like we were looking at that word, uh, constant use. I need to constantly put to use the things that I'm learning, because the more I use a thing, the more I learn how to uh, how, how to function with it. And this is what we need to have. We got to stay in the arena of truth. But the devil doesn't want you to stay in the arena of truth. He wants to move you off the arena of truth. He wants to get you into the area of false things. And so he's trying. He's going to feed you something. Do you think God would do that? Or of course, the the big one in the garden. Has God really said? He's going to get you out of the arena of truth and get you over into another another place. Get you over into another another area. Jeroboam was this way. God said, I'll make of you... A great great uh, line just like I did for David. I'll make you an enduring kingdom just like I did for David. But he didn't believe it. He went after another truth. Well, if people keep on going down to Jerusalem and serve God down there, they're going to leave me. And so he went off another way. Whatever it is that the Word of God has taught us, the enemy is trying to get you off of that truth because he wants to get you out of the arena of truth and into the arena of something that is false. We made this statement to you sometime, probably last year, I guess it was. If I accept what is false, I will reject what is true when I come upon it. That's why I have to guard against things that are false. Because if I accept something that is not right, when the truth comes to me and I see the truth, I will reject it as being false. So don't, don't do that. Stay in the arena of truth. Keep taking things back to the Word of God. Walk in the word that you know. Learn principles and put them to work in your life. Don't just learn principles. Learn principles and put them to work in your life. Stay in the arena of truth. The way you stay in the arena is not learning about truth. It's putting the truth to work. I'm going to be in the arena of truth. i got to make that truth work. If I'm going to stay in the arena of faith, i got to make faith work. i got to be working in, in the faith areas, not in the doubt areas. All right, here's the second one. Galatians 5.16, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Well, there's the arena of the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. In other words, let the Spirit lead you, let the Spirit be the one who directs you, let the Spirit be the one who guides you. If you let the Spirit of God direct you and take you into things, you won't walk in the lust of the flesh. But the reason that people do is because they leave the leading of the Spirit and they go after something else. They go off in another direction. It's kind of like if uh, how many people have ever had a dog in their life? Anybody ever had a dog? Cats don't work. Don't tell me. Don't talk to me about cats. Okay, they don't work. You may like cats, <laughs> but they don't work in this one. This this is a this is the dog thing. If you've got a dog and you've been training that dog to come on your command, and you know um, whatever your name of your dog is, you call out the name of the dog, you make the call, and you want that dog to come to you, and you you're training it. You're training it to to do this. And so you put out the call, and the dog is coming. And then all of a sudden, there's a squirrel. What happens to the dog? Oh, they see the squirrel, and they want to go after there and, and to chase after the squirrel. Oh, I'm going to go after here. Oh, I'm going to do this. They see, they see a kid. They see a mailman. They see something that comes up, and they want to go chase that. If it's a bird dog, they, they get distracted by birds. They see something else, and they want to begin to go after it. The truth was, come. Whatever your command was, that was the truth that you wanted wanted that dog to walk in. But they got outside of that arena. That's what you, and they, they began to follow another, another, uh, another voice. The voice in their head that said, oh, I want to chase that squirrel. You see, that's the flesh rising up inside of us. The Spirit of God says, come. And if we get to that place where He can trust us, I told you the stories about uh, my, my, the one dog I really got to work with, Shasta. She was, a, she was a fantastic dog, and she was real good at the command, come. I could have her sit, and I could go out of sight, and I could do anything I wanted to, and that dog would not move from that spot until I got in sight and said, come. And then she would come running. She got so good that I could do all sorts of things with her. I told you the stories. I go down to the Willow Grove Turnpike, and I get her, sit, and she'd sit down there because I couldn't take her over the turnpike. And then I would cross over the turnpike interchange. It was a little bit smaller back then when I was a kid. It's bigger now. But I would cross over the turnpike interchange, come down on the other side, and then I'd call her and she'd come running through the water part of the tunnel. And uh, then we can go into the, the backwoods section and where nobody else went. Nobody, it, was, it was tough to get to, but we could get back there and to, and to do that. I couldn't do that if she wouldn't listen, if she would just follow me, if she would go after But she would stay. She would stay. If we were out there in the park and a squirrel came, she would look at me. Can I chase it? She would always look at me first. And I'd say, "Oh, go ahead. And then she'd go chase it. But uh, if I say, no, come here, she'd come right over here. And see, that gave me a lot of freedom. If we will get to the place where we won't keep chasing after the voices of our flesh, we get a lot more freedom with God. He can trust us a lot more. He can do a lot more with us. It's imperative that we do that. Walk in the Spirit. Stay in the arena of the Spirit. Don't get in the arena of the flesh. A lot of times the reason that we get into sin problems is because we keep chasing after our flesh. Our flesh says, I want that. Diets would be easy if the things we like were on it. But a lot of times there's the things that we like are not on the diet. And so pizza is not on too many diets. It's, just, it's not there. Desserts, don't find too many desserts on diets. You know, Cheesecake, all kinds of things that we, we like to have. Here's the the third one, Ephesians 5, and verse 2. And walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Walk in love. So, we have the arena of love. We've got to stay in love. We saw that, too, in the other verse we we looked at, but here in Ephesians 5, 2. And walk in love as Christ has also loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Walk in love. Stay in the arena of love. The enemy wants to get you off the arena of love and he wants to get you out into an area of unforgiveness. He wants to get you out into an area of selfishness. He wants to get you out in an area of whatever it might be just so you're out of the arena of love. I've got to get you out of that arena of love. If I can get you out of that arena of love, we'll have victory in this area. The devil would have victory. But God says, no, stay in the arena of love. Stay in that area. And so we learn things from the Word of God that tells us how to stay in that area of love. Colossians 1.10 That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. We need to stay in the arena of fruitfulness. I need to be fruitful. I need to bear fruit. Flesh works are not fruit. I can do things based on the flesh and it produces nothing as far as fruit is concerned. Now, I've made a note on this before, but fruit does not benefit the tree. It benefits the owner of the vineyard or the kingdom of the, of the trees. That that tree produces the fruit in the fruit is a seed so that that tree and the kingdom of that tree, if it's an apple tree, then it's the kingdom of apple trees, We can take those apples, seeds far and wide, and more trees will begin to grow. It helps the kingdom of the apple trees, or it helps the one who is the owner of the vineyard where that tree is at. They harvest all the apples, they produce apple juice, they produce apple pies, they produce apple whatever. But the fruit does not benefit the tree. I need to get to a place where the fruit does not need to benefit me. I'm looking for the fruit to benefit the kingdom. I'm looking for the fruit to benefit my God. And so we stay in the arena of fruitfulness. Not getting into any of these real details, just showing you the, the arenas that we need to, to be in. Luke 3, 8 and 9, Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Boy, I guess we better stay with the area of bearing fruit, huh? God wants us to bear fruit. The enemy doesn't like us to bear fruit. Don't give in to that. Ephesians 2 and verse 10. And we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. You were created for good works. That's fruit. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So there's the arena of fruitfulness. Stay in the place of producing fruit. You'll do that by not doing things according to the flesh. Well, I guess I have to bear with this one. That's not going to produce any fruit. We've got to bear with one another in love. Then we're doing it by the Spirit, and that produces fruit. You can do exactly the same thing and one bear fruit and one not. We saw that in the book of Acts. Barnabas went over there and he sold some property and put the money in the offering. And that was fruitful. But then some other people decided, hey, that looked pretty good. That sells some property, and that's only give part of it. But we'll make them think we gave it all. Then we'll we'll have that fruit too. Uh, no, that was a works, that was a flesh works thing. All right, let's go on here. Romans chapter six. I'm sorry, missed one. 2 Corinthians five seven. This is the arena of faith. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We can go into a whole lot more verses for this. But stay in the arena of faith. We already discussed that a little bit. Stay in the arena of faith. Don't get into the faith, uh, place where you doubt God. Does God really care? When the disciples were on the boat and the storm came up, they began to doubt whether he cared. They got out of the arena of faith. Jesus said to them after he calmed the storm, remember his words? Where is your faith? You got out of the arena of faith. When Peter was walking on the water, he was in the arena of faith. But then he started to look at the waves and saw the, the, felt the wind blowing. Got out of the arena of faith. Romans 6, 4. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism unto death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. There is a, an arena of the newness of life. This is what the enemy wants to try and get you to do. He wants you to walk according to the old man. He wants you to walk according to the old life. He wants you to go back and do things the way we used to do things. Not according to the newness of life. But God has brought us to a place where the old man is dead. And He's brought us into a place of new- newness of life. And we are live according to that new life. Not going back to dead works. Remember He wrote to the Galatians? Why are you going back to dead works that didn't yield anything for you? That didn't help you in any way at all? Stay in the arena of the newness of life. The enemy is going to try and get you to be thinking about, oh, don't you remember how it was? Don't you remember what you used to do? Don't you remember this? How can God love you when you were so bad, when you were caught up in this? Don't live according to the old man. The old man is dead. Paul had a terrible old man. He murdered people. He killed people because of their faith. He had to put that to death all the time. He had to keep, the devil's trying to remind him, no, 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 that man's dead. That man is dead. I'm, I'm living this way. Yeah, I know I did those things, but that man died. And, I, and he lived into the, the newness of life. Don't go back into all those things. Don't let the enemy take you back and say, oh, but you're a sinner. Look at the things you did. Look at how bad you were. No, live in the arena of the newness of life. Old things, the word says, old things are passed away. Behold, All things have become new. Live in the arena of the newness of life. Here's Romans 13, 13. Let us walk properly, decently, honestly, as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. Walk in integrity. Be be honest about things. Don't feel like it's going to hurt you. No, just be honest about, about this. The devil's the one who likes to go around and lie and cheat and steal. We don't need to do that. Walk in integrity. Walk according to what God has brought you to. You're going to be tempted. There are many times that, well, just don't tell them that you got more money back. than the, just, just don't tell them that they didn't charge you for this item over here. Just don't tell them that you, they didn't uh, charge you the right price they charged you too low of a price for this thing over here. Just don't tell them. But no, walk according to the integrity. That's how we walk. Devil's always trying to throw these things out. That's not a blessing of God. That's the devil trying to say, can I get you out of the arena of integrity? Can I get you out into the arena of dishonesty? Can I do that? Can I get you to willingly go into this? That's why you probably found out ahead of time that wasn't on the on the bill because <laughs> if you didn't know about it ahead of time then you're not making a decision, it's just uh, something that happened and you didn't, um, you didn't try for it but the devil wants you to actually have to step out of the arena of integrity and so something will occur on a receipt something will occur in a charge and you'll catch it. That was supposed to be ten dollars, it came up one. That was supposed to be fifty dollars, it came up five. Oh, I wonder if I should tell them. I mean, I didn't make the mistake. I put it right there on the counter. They're the ones who scanned it wrong. They're the ones who did something something wrong with it. He's going to try and get you outside the arena of integrity. Don't let them do it. You'll win. Ephesians 4, 1 again. Therefore, the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Stay in the arena... Of being mindful of your calling. Well, why are you trying to live that way? Why does it matter that you stay so pure? Why does it matter that you don't get involved in this sin over here? How can How is that going to have any effect on anything? Stay in the arena. I'm having a work. I'm having I'm sorry. A walk. It is worthy of the calling that God has put on my life. And that is not worthy of the calling. So I'm going to stay out of that. Yeah, but it's just one time. Yeah, but it's just. Don't, don't do it. He's always trying to get you to step out and to just do one thing over here. Colossians 4, 5. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Walk in the arena of being mindful of unbelievers. Now, we're just going through nine arenas. You could probably find some other ones. These are things you need to be mindful of. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside know that there are people that are in the kingdom of God and there are people that are outside of the kingdom of God. You can't treat the people that are outside the kingdom the same way you do the people that are inside the kingdom. And what we mean by that is the people that are outside the kingdom of God are not speaking wisdom of God. Don't listen to them like they're speaking the wisdom of God. Don't expect them to be speaking the wisdom of God there's people there's Christians out there, unsaved people are directing their life more than the Word of god is see they've they've gotten into a wrong arena and they're letting unbelievers yeah but he 's a doctor, yeah but he's a scientist yeah but he's a whatever he might be it doesn't matter don't don't go that way be mindful that there are unbelievers in this world when Jesus remember when uh um Jairus got Jesus finally back to the house and they get to the place and the daughter's dead and she's up in the room and Jesus goes up into the room. What's he do with all the unbelievers? He puts them out. We can't have unbelievers in here with this this sort of thing. And he, he puts them He's not trying to fix them right now. <laughs> We're here to take care of this situation. There's going to be some unbelievers in your life that are around you. There are some times you need to put them out. This is not for unbelievers. This is not a time for unbelievers. If you're going through something, you don't necessarily need to go out there and get all those unbelieving family members that are coming in and telling you, Oh, I had an aunt, and she had that, and she died. Mm-hmm. I don't need that sort of stuff coming in. There's, there's people that are unbelievers. If you've got something that you're battling in the area of the Spirit, whether it be something sickness-related, something financial-related, whatever it might be, there are some people you should not be involved in, in the fight. Put them out of the room. Jesus did it. If Jesus needed to do it, I think I need to do it. There's some some relatives that'll talk you right in the dying <laughs> while they're caring for you. But it, understand, they're unbelievers. You can't change that until they become a believer. Don't expect anything else. Don't get mad at them. They're just doing. What they what they do? Unbelievers, disbelieve. That's what they do. So just know. Well, I can't involve uncle, cousin, sister, brother, so and so. They're not a believer. They're not a person who understands this about scripture. So keep them out of the room. Understand? There's an there's an arena of believers and unbelievers. How many times in the Word of God does it, does it say the disciples came back to their own company? They went out there into the world. They went out there to, to preach the message, but then they, they come on back to their own company. Oh, it's good to come back to their own company. Back to some believers and, uh, and let them build you up. doesn't mean that you stay away from unbelievers. You just got to understand unbelievers are unbelievers. Believers are believers. You need to get out into the world and help those unbelievers, but they're unbelievers. You can't speak to them the same way that you do to believers. They can't handle all the stuff that you can say, talk to your uh, brothers and sisters in Christ about. You can talk to them about truths in the Word and have a great old time. You uh, sit around at work with some of the people that are there. You try and talk to them about the same things. Huh? What, you believe that? Well, some things you just can't take to them that way. Ephesians 4 and verse 3 endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit of bond of peace. Now, I told you, we only went over nine of these arenas. You could probably find some others in there. But just understand, when you're in that arena, this is what you're mindful of. I'm in the arena of the unbelievers right now. I'm in the, uh, I have to operate a certain way. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So he says, <clears throat> here, that's, that's actually, I just read the whole thing. Together. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So there's the end result, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There should be harmony in our mission. When there isn't harmony in our beliefs, there are going to be people that are in the family of God that are around you, and they don't believe everything that you do, and you won't have harmony in that area, but you can still have harmony in the mission. There are still, we're all here to get people born again, to get people to to pursue God, to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. That's what we're here to do. We're all proclaiming that Jesus is God, that God is God. There's only one God, and we serve Him. There's the Word of God, and that is His Word to us. And there's many people out there in the body of Christ who can agree on the mission. We may not agree on the beliefs. Some people believe that Jesus is the healer. Some people believe that Jesus is not the healer. But we can still agree on the mission. We can still keep that unity in the mission. I can't, I can't get everybody to believe the same way that I do. But that's not the mission. The mission is we need to expand the body of Christ. We need to get people born again. And then grow them up in the things of God. Endeavoring there is the Greek word that means to make effort. Be prompt or earnest and give diligence or to be diligent. Endeavoring. Be diligent at this. Don't be so quick to just let the unity go in the spirit of the bond of peace. Now, there's a, there's a bond of peace that can come in. Have you ever noticed this, that there are some people, and you may know one or two, there are some people who just seem to stir up trouble whenever they arrive. Have you ever had that with people? Some people, as soon as they come in the room, they're just there to stir up trouble. They just say stuff. They put people on edge. They put people, the people become offended. Uh, they disrupt the peace. How many many people know people like that? (laughs) They just disrupt the peace. Why is that? Now, maybe it's not every time. Maybe it's just sometimes. But it seems that they desire more to make their point. That's more their desire. I desire to make the point. I desire they desire to express their thoughts and wisdom. They desire to express I've got this thought, I've got this wisdom, and I desire to express it. And they just set out to express it. They, they don't consult God or anything else. I'm just here. I'm going to make the point. I'm going to express these thoughts and wisdom, and I'm going to make corrections what I feel is necessary. I see there's a correction here that needs to be made, and I'm going to make it. <laughs> And that's what they do. They come in, I'm going to correct you. I'm going to fix you. I'm going to change this thing up. I haven't listened to God. God hasn't told me to change that thing. God hasn't told me to correct that thing. But they just come on in and I've got this wisdom. I've got this insight and I'm going to throw it at you and if you take it, great. If not, then that's on you. Don't be those people. Be the people that endeavor, that pursue peace. Instead of saying only what God inspires them to say like Jesus did, they say whatever they feel. I wrote this down: saying nothing can be by inspiration too. There are sometimes you are inspired of God to say nothing. Just let it go. Sometimes that's the best way to keep the peace going. But uh, don't give them that smile either. that says, "Well, I know something." You ever had people to do that? Do that? They give you that smile, that look. Well, I know something and you don't know it, so you just be down there low. No, don't even get a hint as to that. Look for the peace. Come on into that room. Come on into that place. And you're here to bring peace. You are a peacemaker for God. There are some things you need to stand to make make a note of. This is what the Word of God says. But there's a lot of times people are making fights and disrupting peace over things that God has not said to say. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that we are called to do something in your body and that we can have a walk that is worthy of that calling. And you have called every single one of us to be peacemakers. Father, I pray that when people see us come into a room, they don't get on edge, they don't begin to worry and to fret and to begin to think, oh, what's going to happen now? They're coming in the room. They're going to set some things off. But Father, we come in with your love and we should your peace. I thank you for the joy that is in us that we bring in every place we go, your joy, your peace. We give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen.